Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Politicana. Today, we are in episode 21 of Politicana. What a ways we've come here. Uh, today is March 20th. I hope you're all doing well. I'm here, of course, with Pratik and Nick. How are you guys doing today? Fantastic, Tyler. Great to be Beautiful. with you and Pratik, as always. I'm doing and great. I'm excited for a new show. Very cool. And today, we're going to be kicking it off talking about a new contagious COVID variant. The technical term for this is B117. It's spreading across the U.S. and Canada. And the big question is, is the current vaccine protocol we have in place going to stop these new variants of vaccines? So, uh, Pratik, you can, you can lead us on this. Yeah, CNN Health reported a new, more contagious and potentially more deadly variant of the coronavirus is spreading across the United States and health officials are worried. The B117 variant, first spotted in the UK, is not only more easily transmitted, but it also appears to be more deadly, according to Dr. Anthony Fauci, chief medical advisor to President Biden. So... Of concern is that there are about 50% of increases in transmission with the particular variant. So Fauci pointed out that this one study shows a 64% increased risk of death for people infected with the B117 variant. And BioNTech, Pfizer, and Moderna vaccines have all been reported to be able to stop this variant from spreading. So the big the big question that comes out of this is, is this vaccine that we've all hoped for the end all cure to all our sorrows will society return back to normal after all of this these mutations tell me it's likely not the case i've we all have to defer to certain experts to get a conclusion on the subject because obviously we don't know that much about vaccines but one of the experts i had heard from it essentially said our failure to contain it means it's essentially always going to be there. It's going to be there like the flu is going to be there. It's always going to be mutating year after year. I would like to believe that these vaccines are going to be incredibly effective against these new strains, and maybe they're partially effective, but I don't know if we can say for certain that it's 100% going to solve all, all of our problems. So uh, what do you guys think about this? Well, Tyler, isn't that why we're still doing the whole social distancing thing is because it's a combination of one, getting people vaccinated, but two, also making sure you know, we're not going about our daily lives like nothing's going on, blinders on. Here's the thing. And what people are saying now is if we had done a hardcore lockdown the first eight weeks or so, we wouldn't have to deal with years of this. So while I agree with you, I think we really have to learn from the situation we found ourselves in. So maybe if this outbreak does occur again, we do a hardcore lockdown for a few weeks and then maybe return to some normalcy. And maybe that's not how it should go. What do you think? I mean, who would tolerate that? I mean, Pratik, go ahead. I see your. No, no, you got it. You got it. Well, after what happened, I think people may be more willing to tolerate it if they've already seen what happens if you are unable to contain it. That's fair. But I feel like people have already seen that. And there are several states where like you'll still see videos. I mean, right when COVID came around at the start, you saw beaches in Florida completely packed full of people. And now, well, that's outside. You know, you've got that good air circulation, the rest of it. People were carrying on like nothing was really happening. And I feel like even though we're into this a year, sure, some people like you're going to put on a mask when you go inside a store or whatever. But there was that story, I mean, just a week ago, where that was there's a woman down in Texas who got arrested for not wearing a mask. And then a week later, she gets arrested again for doing the same thing. People are getting thrown off of airplanes, the rest of it. I feel like you're always going to have part of the population who, frankly, either doesn't trust it, doesn't think it's a big deal or just doesn't want to comply because it's it's a hassle. And I, think, I agree with you. I think I just think it's been minimal. I think that group of uh, of people that aren't going to adhere has been minimizing over time because we see how much of an impact this has on all of our lives. It doesn't even matter your socioeconomic status. We're all 
going through this together. So I would hope there's something within us that would make the majority of us realize what had occurred and say, maybe we need to change something for the better in the future. Pratik, sorry, go ahead. I, I feel like Tyler's a little bit more optimistic than I am about this because mm-hmm. if you open, if you close down the entire economy, the chances of it going as smoothly as it can is very hard. Like mm-hmm. it sounds really easy. Like, oh yeah, we need to, whenever something like this happens, we need to shut down permanently eight, nine weeks. But the repercussions of it could be faced with every segment of the United States population. Like the people that are in the poverty line, they get hit the most. Mm -hmm. And then the business owners, they get hit a lot. And then even the wealthy people, they get hit a lot. What if we had real, what if we had real stimulus, hardcore, real condensed, concentrated stimulus in a package of eight weeks, instead of we're doing these multi-trillion dollar packages throughout the year, every year, I don't see why that would be more productive. I'd rather throw as many resources as I can, as fast as I can to isolate the issue. But I see your point. Oh, God, it, dude, I, I I hate to be this partisan, but I feel like if Trump wanted to do that in the very beginning, maybe we would have done that. Now, I don't think every state would have gone along with him because it's sort of against his message to say, all right, we're going to have a, a centralized authoritarian, authoritarian government telling everyone for eight weeks. And sure, you could say, oh, it's a wartime scenario. This is a real emergency. Um, kick all the individualism to the curb just for a little bit, and then we can resume doing our thing. But I think, I mean, frankly, I don't think it's very feasible to shut down for eight weeks, like you were saying. I mean, ideally, maybe, but we're already a year into this. People are already down in the drain, in the gutter, for in terms of one, like we were saying in the past couple episodes, there are millions of people who have been unable to get their jobs back. You know, this has been straining economies across the country. And just for the entire United States to shut down for eight weeks after a year of doing this, I just don't think it's feasible. Well, I'm not necessarily, so I'm not actually saying we do it now. What I'm trying to say is oh, okay, we, should, okay. we should learn that we didn't do this. And for next this time. Is, and that's the thing. It's, it's inevitable that it, there's a next time. Agree, These viruses evolve like we evolved. They're, they don't just disappear. So but, this is this is something I see as a learning experience. And I'm afraid it becomes so partisan that we're, we'll be unable to learn from it. And something that I had to learn from this is, well, individual liberties are of the utmost importance for a free and open society. The society can't be in free and open if it doesn't exist, if we're all shut down anyway. So th- if there's a cost that, that is to be paid, I would be willing to pay that cost. That's how I see it. I have one final point. Um, this was what Nick said. Like, I do feel that this is a problem with their American system is that, all right, now, like, let's say Biden is president and the same situation happens that Trump was thrown into in March whenever this happened last year. The problem is that there would be a lot of state governments that wouldn't want to adhere to whatever Biden is telling them to do, mainly mm-hmm. from the Republican side, as opposed to how it was with Trump from the Democratic side. And there was like the Democrat states were arguing they needed more resources and they didn't have enough financing and enough funding to be able to handle the problem. Mm -hmm. While on this other flip side, the Biden, whenever Biden would declare something like that, the Republican states would say that they need more autonomy and they need to be able to handle their own affairs without the federal government butting into everything that they're doing. And there's not a right answer. I'm just saying that's a problem with our system. So well, I don't even know if that's an issue. The states rights to federal rights. I don't even think it's an issue because I think all the states should be unified in the fact that if we know this thing is going to lead to years of terribleness for everyone, maybe we can come together and say, look, this is a way to possibly uh, ease that blow. 
maybe we should collectively do this. And I'm not disagreeing with you, but I, I am more optimistic in, in that I believe that there can be something that unifies us all if it's only an existential threat that would kill us all. Well, we just have to wait and see. The next yeah. time around, we'll see if the states, you know, get on board with one another. And as far as, as far as what we should do at the present moment, what else can we do? Like we have these vaccines. We're obviously developing the vaccines as fast as we can. We're trying to get these vaccines as out as fast as we can, but we can't control how the virus is going to adapt and how it's going to affect us in the future. We can only prepare our response to what is to come. So yeah, we'll see what happens. The fate of the world, essentially. So let's move on to our next topic. Um, Russia erupts in fury over Biden's calling Putin a killer. So this is a very intense topic. Um, Biden has, you know, been very uh, aggressive in the foreign policy realm, as people like me would like for that are neocons. But one of his biggest problems is that Biden is very not careful on how he says things and is just very gunko, which is a unlike good thing. Trump, who's always yeah. very yeah, 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 obviously, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> no, but see. The thing about Trump was Trump was very gung-ho in a very careful manner. Biden is very gung-ho in what he feels is right. Like, okay. there's a difference to that. Like, Pratik, they did the same thing. Wait, so okay, hold on. Okay, 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 okay. Let me, let me read hearing. the story. Let me read the story. <laughs> read the story. So President Vladimir V. Putin dryly wished President Biden a good health on Thursday after the American leader assented to a description of his Russian counterpart as a killer and long-running tensions morphed into a furious exchange of transatlantic taunts. The previous evening, Russia took the rare step of recalling its ambassador to Washington after Mr. Biden's comments in a television interview warning of the possibility of an irreversible deterioration of relations. On Thursday, seated in the gilded chair of the seventh anniversary of Russia's annexation of Crimea, Mr. Putin all but called Mr. Biden a killer himself. So this went on because Biden um, called Putin um, a killer because he um, orchestrated the poisoning of the opposition leader, Alexei Navalny. And well, among that, other things, I among mean, that's other things, the tip that's of the, the iceberg. Main, that's, yeah. that's the main thing that they were talking about in that interview. And the Biden administration, because of that, announced sanctions against Russian officials after declassifying an intelligence finding that the Russia's domestic intelligence agency had orchestrated the poisoning of the opposition leader, Alexei A. Navalny. So there is a lot of issues that come from this. It's similar to the Saudi Arabia thing where they killed Jamal Khashoggi, where I find some comparisons and some differences. The main comparison is that Russia, just like Saudi Arabia, has global economic control and influence over everything that happens around the world, especially when it comes to supply and energy prices. And obviously, like everyone in their country, probably, and including all the people that are involved in their government, even though people like to say Trump was Putin's puppet or whatever that was all about. In the end of the day, the United States and Russia don't really get along that much. It doesn't really matter what political party you're affiliated with. It doesn't matter what, what your citizenship opinion is in the United States. More than likely, you don't like Russia and yeah. no one in the country, in, their, in our country or government, likes Putin. Let me add just a little bit more context. So yeah. uh, a lot of this has to do with the construction of something called the Nord Stream 2 pipeline between yes. Russia and Germany, which the U.S. don't want. They think it's a bad deal. They think... You're right. It gives too much power to Russia over Europe, over Germany, essentially. Um, and, and I think that's probably causing some of this tension right now in the back and forth. 
the problem with Putin's side is he tries to act like he's some victim, like he's being oppressed, like he's done no wrong. He says that Biden, people speak as though they're speaking to themselves, as if they're approaching a mirror. So we are really the evils and they really have nothing to do with our own situation. That's how they're trying to frame it. But he's literally killing his, I can only, I can only interpret what their actions do. If you're killing your political opposition and you've killed all these people over time, yet you are a killer. I understand he wouldn't want to be called a killer. And psychologically, he, Putin is so, so smart. He knows how to frame and reframe these situations. But I have, over- I have two small things to add before yeah. we let Nick talk about this. But yep. like one, one thing is that with all this stuff that Putin does, like, I mean, let's talk about Nord first. So with Nord, um, the main thing is that Nord will give um, Russia a literally absolute advantage over all like things in terms of natural gas in Europe. So obviously all energy supply of any country is a mix of a variety of different, you know, pr- different things that involve energy. So like France will have like a certain percentage that comes from nuclear energy. They have a certain a percentage of energy that comes from coal and then they have natural gas. So the natural gas that is being supplied because of Nord, if it happens, would allow Russia to be able to control all of the prices of energy in Europe because Nord will provide basically them a monopoly over the entire natural gas market in Europe. So that's like why it's important. It's and Trump not- was, by the way, Trump and his administration was also against this deal. Yeah, I, th- I just very, think it was gas. They were against Gazprom. I don't know if it specifically was this deal, yes, but they were both, against both Gazprom together. making a pipeline. Yeah. Yeah, it's the same thing. And the second part is that with Putin, like whatever we say about Putin and however Russia's elections go and all that other stuff, in the end of the day, Putin has done a lot of sketchy things in terms of his government, but his people continue to elect him. Now, I'm not saying that United Russia, I'm not saying that United Russia doesn't do things where they're killing off all the other opposition political party members and they're playing their own game in terms of killing off all opposition, which they definitely do, just like every other country. And they stuff the ballots, I'm pretty sure. type country. Mm-hmm. But in the end of the day, if Russia's people were so pissed off at Russia, they could orchestrate some kind of revolution or some kind of riot in some kind of riots against Putin. It does happen. Every single dictatorial region that we have seen in the, in the world that has engaged in some kind of authoritarian leadership has seen a lot of protests from its people. Things like Syria with Bashar al-Assad or Egypt recently. And you can even go back to some countries like Iran during the, um, what was it? The 2012, what was it called? The 2012 Arab Spring movement. So like there's been a situation where there have been countries that that have gone against their leadership, even China and North Korea recently. So like with Putin, I don't know how much there is um, an opinion, a positive opinion amongst the citizens for the Putin administration. But I can see that it might be a lot more domestically in Russia than we see in our foreign you know, way of looking at it from America. Because if, if, Russia, if Russian citizens were really anti-Putin and were really against a lot of the things Russia did towards its citizens and its opposition leaders, they would speak up to some extent. Well, I'm, I'm not sure because what's the cost of speaking up and creating a revolution? It's millions of dead people. Like, that, that, it's that not something that you got to take casual. Absolutely. But you're saying if they don't like it, then they should change it. But if he's a dictator and he has ultimate power, you have to be equally as powerful. So you're... You're saying millions of us are going to die and we're going to change it. Maybe they haven't come to that point, but that isn't to say they're okay yeah, with what's happening, what's going fair. on. And also, if they're 
uh, going back to the voting, I'm pretty sure Putin just stuffs the ballots. He gets over 100% of the vote every election somehow. Um, I, so him being elected is not him being democratically elected, in my opinion. What's your thoughts, Nick? Oh, man, dude. I, I have a weird relationship with Russia. I've been over there a couple times. And frankly, it's it's a little bit of a strange situation. I think there are a lot of parallels between Russia and China, frankly, um, where you had China, where they had the 100 years of you know national embarrassment, where um, outside forces came over. Basically, the British, the Japanese, others basically said, China, OK, here's how you're going to run yourselves. You're not going to have any influence domestically. You're a cockroach under our heel. And that's sort of how it feels um, in terms of China and their past embarrassment. And Russia, I mean, you had the Soviet Union, which was one of the major superpowers of the world. And then in the 90s collapses. And now, you know, not only do you have that loss of military might, that loss of international prestige, you have this communist dream that was not achieved. Um, and frankly you have people over there who missed the soviet union and granted that's i'm not sure what what large of a percentage that is i think part of it is the generational divide where the older people remember what it used to be like oh the public spaces used to be very well maintained there used to be money going into all these sorts of different things i mean for the people in the major cities like moscow you've always had money that's always been the center of wealth um but for a lot of folks in the provinces where Life, frankly, is very different from the major cities. In some cases, it can feel almost third world or second world. I'm, I'm not really sure what the line between third and second is uh, sometimes. But I, I don't know, man. What you mentioned about the, the gas stuff, obviously, that's been a major concern, especially in Germany. Um, and Europe has been getting their gas from Russia, their natural gas for, for a long time, though. It's been like 40% for years. So Nordstrom 2, while it would definitely expand that, I don't think it's so new. It's just further entrenching Russia's influence over Europe and giving them an on-off switch where, you know, they had, before they invaded Ukraine, they had the uh, cyber attacks against its electric grid um, while they were invading the country. And this just gives them one more pressure point over Europe if they're trying to play hardball in negotiations. So that maybe it was a little bit of a ramble, but I could certainly see why there's such a strong desire to keep Putin in there as sort of a strong man, strong leader, because again, after your incredible loss of international prestige, your fragmentation of this essentially communist empire that was forming, where all the different states split off and gained independence like Poland, Ukraine, the rest of it. Um, I just think, Frankly, there's it's still pretty recent in the past 30 years where a lot of the older folks and older generations probably view Putin as, you know, a guy who's, you know, taking a tough stance on the world stage, able to finally make them feel, I don't know, maybe at least a little bit relevant again, a little bit respected. Um, not that Russia isn't a, isn't relevant anymore, but just compared to where they used to be in the 80s and before as one of the major superpowers of the world, now they're sort of second rate and China's surpassed them. And that's sort of our big contender uh, with the United States today. But Russia, hey man, they've got those hackers. They're, uh, I, I would watch out. They're easily so. number three. But that's another thing. Moscow Times, I think that's one of their bigger news you know, groups in Russia. They had a, por they had a poll where they said 75% of Russians say Soviet Union was the greatest time in the country's history. And that number has increased since the last poll that they did in 2019, 
where 59% of Russians believe the Soviet Union took care of ordinary people. So, like, it's one of those things that maybe Nick is right. The people that are in Russia, like, it might just be the older crowd. It may even be the younger crowd that were like, yo, the old days, I wish I was there at one point. But, like, maybe there is this kind of push towards having, um, you know, Soviet Union-type power again in Russia. Well, I just think a strong leader... They're going to get to that. A strong leader... Like people desire to have a strong leader. That's why that's why democracy is so novel in world history because people really do want that strong guide, that leading voice pushing them to the future. And especially after, like you mentioned, they suffered such a defeat. If you come from a world where, let's say, America's on top, and then in twenty years, our everything collapses, our idea of democracy collapses. We don't know who we are, what we're going to be in the future. Yeah, you're gonna gra- you're gonna grab for any kind of power you can. That's how Hitler came to be. So. I, I, I guess I understand it, but it doesn't mean it's a good thing, you know. And I actually, I, I am going to change my mind. You're probably right. People actually probably do want him in more than not now that you say all that. Um, one other thing I'd just like to point out for people who may not be as familiar with Russia, um, one of the tricky parts about economic sanctions, because that's what the Obama administration tried. That's what we're trying again now. That's what the Trump administration still did, actually, even though there's the narrative that Trump was very weak on Russia, there still still were economic sanctions against the country. Um, but one of the tricky things is all of the oligarchs, <laughs> sort of, once uh, Russian public firms were privatized in the 90s, um, through one Boris Yeltsin leaving, making deals with bankers to privatize um, oil companies and the rest of it. And two, with Putin, how he sort of controls a lot of, you know, the upper echelons of Russian society, which is he makes personal political favors to give people control over these um, companies, which used to be public, but are now private. Um, but those oligarchs hold a lot of their wealth overseas in places like London and these big financial centers where it's not like the United States is all of a sudden going to sanction, you know, the London financial system. Um, and while, yes, you could try to sanction the individual's bank accounts, when when they're in that inner circle of such a major country, it's, it's definitely not as easy as it sounds. And especially just with the ways where they're sort of using our own banking laws and own privacy laws against us through banking in places like London and elsewhere. Now let's transition, if that's cool with you guys, from Russia to China, where China is like... There are a lot of parallels, like you had mentioned. Yeah. Yeah. And China is the definition of like anti-democracy as it is. So um, now um, recently, this was as of, I think, March 19th. So yesterday, uh, Biden's officials. So um, his, his secretary of state, Anthony Blinken, and their deputy secretary of state met with, or his name is Jake Sullivan. They met with the Chinese officials. So the Chinese Communist Party in the United States democracies had their first face-to-face meeting between Chinese officials and the Biden administration, signaling Beijing's intention of using former President Trump's attacks on the 2020 election for its own interests. So foreign affairs director of the Chinese Communist Party, Yang Jiqi, in his first remarks with U.S. officials at a, at a meeting in Alaska, I don't know why they met in Alaska, but they did there, said the U.S. is in no place to preach democracy to other countries. 
many people within the United States actually have little confidence in the democracy of the United States. And we believe that is important for the United States to change its own image and stop advancing its own democracy to the rest of the world, Yang said. The Chinese official also raised the problem of race in the United States, taking a hard line with Biden officials. The remarks indicate that the baseless attacks on the 2020 election by Trump and his allies, which culminating in a mob attack by Trump supporters on the Capitol that interfered with the certification of the Electoral College count, led to five deaths will be used by China in diplomatic talks. The remark prompted a rebuke by Secretary of State Anthony Blinken, saying what we've done throughout our history is to confront these challenges openly, publicly, transparently, not trying to ignore them, not trying to pretend they don't exist, not trying to sweep them under a rug, he said. And sometimes it's painful, sometimes it's ugly, but each and every time we have come out stronger, better, and more united as a country. So Blinken has sought to reinforce his U.S. solidarity with his allies and partners, in particular Japan and South Korea, when he traveled immediately before the meeting in, in Alaska. And now this was one of their first big meetings that they've had between the Secretary of State and the Chinese officials and their main um, deputy official, um, Yang Jingqi. So mm. this is very interesting. There's a lot of parallels, as you said, that can be drawn between Russia and China. Biden's biggest um, thing that has been said against him is he's going to be soft on China, which according to these conversations that have been taking place between Biden and um, the Chinese administration people have not really been that, you know, peaceful as it seems They're not cordial on base level. Man. And the in the Chinese people um, themselves are trying to take harder hits on Biden because they think that he's a little bit more softer yeah. than Putin Trump is. So they're trying to use that against him because they feel like, you know, Biden's not going to be able to do anything yeah. against Qu us. Quote from the, the article from uh, Ambassador Yang, many people in the United States actually have little confidence in the democracy of the United States. We believe that is important for the United States to change its own image and stop advancing its own democracy in the rest of the world. They're trying to say that what we've created is so flawed that we have to completely get rid of it. That's how they're trying to frame it to us. But what I see is the beauty in democracy is our own ability to reflect and approach and consciously attack our own issues and problems. We're, we're unable to sweep them under the rug like a communist or dictatorship. And China, the government, they can control the narrative however which way they want to. We're unable to do that. We're forced to reflect against our own demons, which is something you do in psychology on an individual level, but it's also applied, applied on a societal scale. I think it's really interesting how China frames it. They're so smart. They're attacking democracy itself. They're saying all of our issues are because of democracy, not because of political structures, not because of any kind of dogmatism. It's the actual values we hold as a nation that are flawed and that need to be changed and should stop being spread in the world. I think that's very, very smart of them, but it's completely wrong. Dude, all right, here's here's what like bugs me out, okay? Because China has some legitimate grounds to say, oh my God, you guys with your colonial history, all these Western oh powers, all the rest of it, you know, I get it. And frankly, we leverage that against ourselves uh, a lot of the time and we're trying to atone for that. But the thing that, I don't, I don't know, gets to me is they say all of this stuff, oh, you have all this national strife and the rest of it. China is, you know, they've got something like 54, 56 um, officially recognized ethnicities in the country, um, but it's still like 90, 91% Han Chinese. It's very much this mainstream dominant culture. There's one way of sort of doing things, not to, you know, group the entire country into one thing. The Uyghur thing, it's, oh, man, it's, it's so, 
I don't know, weird, I guess, in conversation where on the one hand, they could certainly point to say, okay, you enslaved people from Africa for a long ass time. You still do not treat um, African-Americans well in the society. Um, you have this history of mistreating indigenous peoples in you know, the United States, Canada, uh, Australia, New Zealand, the rest of it. And yet they're doing the exact same thing today with their Uyghur population, which is what we did. You know, I think, what was it? Um, I think it was actually pretty recent. It was either in the last 100 years or so, um, maybe even more recent where we had the entire idea of these um, Native American or um, Indian American uh, boarding schools, where the idea was to save the child but kill the Indian, where you essentially take the person out of their culture, re-educate them, and try to turn them into you know, this mainstream version that society wants them to be. And China is doing the exact same thing with the Uyghur population. And it's just so strange to hear a country say, you have this terrible history, um, but we're still going to do the exact same thing. <laughs> and and even, even doubling, they're even, doubling even, down. Yeah, yeah, exactly. To a higher degree than you're willing to do. And this is what I mean when it's hard for me to take your anyone's words. This is why I'm a political realist. It's hard for me to take their words for heart when their actions speak directly against what their words say. But what I what the point is when they say these things on the world stage, plenty of people will just take that as a as a statement of fact. Well, yeah, and the thing with Blinken, first of all, what what major balls? I don't know if it was a, an intentional slip, if he intentionally said Taiwan instead of China, um, but I mean, between Hong Kong, Taiwan, and so some of what's going on in the South China Sea, the U.S. has walked a very tight, you know, political tightrope to mm. try to not tip the boat too much when it comes to China. I mean, we've only had trade relations since uh nixon 70s, established yeah. them in the 70s yeah with kissinger so i mean this is still a very new thing and i mean we didn't even have contact with them we stopped all formal relations i mean heck we we supported shanghai shek and the nationalists who went to taiwan um and granted there's this whole history there with the japanese invading and the rest of it when mao was coming up but i don't know it, it does seem like we're starting to see a departure at least in terms of the rhetoric um from where we used to try to be a little bit more careful in how we approach China. And I know Trump, you know, critique to, to give your side a little bit of credit. I know Trump, you know, came out with all these big statements, but then would say, oh, we're in the love fest. And it's still a little bit ironic that all the authoritarian regimes, Russia, China, North Korea, you know, once Biden comes in, they're like, oh, the United States, forget about you guys. We're you're uh, you're not our friend anymore. We're going to go do something else. It's do, like, were we ever friends? I, I don't know. Do you, do you know what's interesting? They because they take their own leadership, their own, uh, well, let's say Putin, for instance, his own divinity. He sees that as what's found in the United States with our president. But that's not the case. We don't we're not run by a dictator like they are. That's we don't feel our emotions through the conduit of a dictator like they do. So it's it's almost like a different worldview, a different understanding of how things work. And like with what Tyler's saying, you don't see like Americans worshiping Trump or worshiping Biden. Well, you, there are half, yeah, of, them, there's some people. half <laughs> of the country does. It's, not, it's not ingrained in our country. system. Exactly. Not you're not us, you're yeah. not supposed it is not like you're required to worship your leader. And that's one of the this like the cult of personality problems that they have in China. And like the main issues, like as what Nick was saying, is that I don't really know what is the right answer when it comes to policies with the United States and China. The, I wouldn't argue that Trump 
or any Republican or Democratic president, at least in the near like past like 15, 20 years, has really done a great job in solidifying what that relationship is. Mm-hmm. But I would tell I would say that like I do like how Biden is approaching things. Um, at least from like my initial thoughts, because we, he is more aggressive than a lot of his old his former predecessors have been in terms of Bush, Obama, and Bill Clinton and Trump. But like overall, like I want to see how this translates. And Biden's biggest problem, if he has one problem, is that he needs to be very careful about how he says things. I like what he's saying. And I agree with what he's saying. I agree that we need to be more aggressive. And as an American citizen, I'm happy that America is taking a stronger stance and like being firm on what they believe instead of playing like diddle daddle against with all these little countries compared to the United States. But I feel like in the larger scheme of things, like you just have to be very careful about how you say things, because if one thing goes wrong in terms of your relationship with one of these countries, it can be a lot more catastrophic. And you don't want to like cause some kind of mini war or cause some kind of like problems within those two countries. And I'm not saying Trump did a great job either, because we do have a trade war going on with China, which that's been very catastrophic towards a lot of the economy of both of those countries, both the United States and China. But at least with Biden, I want him to, you know, not say things like that because Trump is a thing of the past. Now we had to look at the present and this well, is what he, we can handle. He's, he's transformed the present to a degree that we don't even know yet. All right. So now let's move on to our next topic. Um, this is potential Cuomo challenger Republican Representative Tom Reed accused of sexual misconduct by former lobbyists. So if everything's going on with Cuomo. There's been about the sexual harassment stuff. It's been all over the news. People have their opinions left and right. But for the most part, people are against Cuomo and want him kicked out of office because of what he did. And now the irony is that his opposition member, Representative Tom Reed, who is potentially running for governor of New York against Cuomo in the upcoming election, has also been accused of sexual misconduct. So let me tell you the story. So this is according to CNBC. So... I'm going to try to be very careful about how I say things because it is very graphical, but I'm going to read it just as it is written in CNBC. So I'm not like, you know, putting any additional facts into the story. So New York Republican representative Tom Reed was accused by a former lobbyist of, of by a former lobbyist of drunkenly rubbing her back unhooking her bra and moving his hand up her thigh. The accusation against Reed by now U.S. Army Lieutenant Nicolette Davis, as detailed by the Washington Post, comes as Reed is considering running for New York governor. Current Governor Andrew Cuomo has been accused by more than a half a dozen women of sexually harassing them or otherwise inappropriate conduct. Reed, who denied Davis's account as not accurate, has been among those harshly criticizing Cuomo calling for the Democratic governor to be impeached. So what's your thoughts, guys? Um, so I, I guess I'll start this one off. Um, you're right. This happened to Cuomo, now happened to his opponent. Could it be a political hit piece? It is one person, one accusation, as far as I know. So as far as I know, they came up with some story, had someone say something happened a while ago, and who knows? But on the other hand, given what's been going on and the revelations that have come to light over the past few years, there's a good chance it actually did happen. So at this point, with the information we're given, I'm just going to assume that we did have that. 
how disgusting it is that we can't have any kind of leader that won't be sexually assaulting people. It just seems so pervasive in our system. Are we ever going to be able to get past something like this? Is there something innate to these people that want to be these leaders that cause them to do these actions? What do you guys think? Oh, God, dude. I feel like I feel like a little bit. Yeah. I mean, look, I'm not a psychologist or anything, but I feel like once you get into that position of power where everyone says yes to you, you always have your way and things just run the way you want them to most mm -hmm. of the time. I feel like you do start to build some sort of sense of entitlement and sort of expect that whatever you want is going to be reciprocated. And I look, whether maybe that's complete baloney, maybe that's not true. I hope it's not true um, because that would mean that whatever, that it's not sort of a systemic thing that's going to keep happening. Um, but unfortunately, it's something you're seeing more and more. And thanks to the media, well, this has always been there, but it's just coming to light more easily. People have more of a platform to voice, you know, when these things actually happen. And if anything, I think it's, I think it's actually quite a bit of a positive where someone can go ahead and voice this and say, I was harassed by my boss. And instead of society jumping down your throat and saying, shut up, get out of the way, we're not going to listen to you. I actually think it's kind of a healthy thing that we're moving towards socially. And now there are certainly things to go towards in terms of the court system, who should be believed, you know, the evidence put forth. But I think it's definitely good. Like, dude, if you had this 100 years ago, no one would have given her the time of day. It might the have been a plus been... for the guy. He's getting all these women. Like, look at him. Oh, God, dude, the story would have been quashed. So I think this has actually been a positive trend socially in uh, the American system. Yeah, and uh, I also wanted to add one more thing. So this is what makes it sound even worse if Reed actually did something. He said that these incidents of sexual harassment and pattern of abuse are abhorrent and have absolutely no place in our society, let alone the highest wrongs of government. Such behavior is disturbing and unacceptable. Reed said last month about Cuomo. My problem is that, all right, you're going to criticize this other guy. And obviously, like, if one person comes out against you, sure. If two people come out against you, sure. But when you get three people that come out against you, that's really bad. And sure, Reed only has one person. But the person that did come out against him is a lieutenant, American, U.S. Army lieutenant. And, like, she has a lot of stuff to lose if she doesn't, if this isn't a factual story. So why would she lie about this stuff? And it's just one of those things that, like, it's obviously like you're innocent until proven guilty. But don't be criticizing other people when you have the same exact problems going on in your own story. But what is the public life. left to do? Are we going to go, I compare these 12 sexual assaults to this one sexual assault, whichever sexual fault is not as great. We elect that guy. How about we just, we don't elect either of these guys. I don't know if you guys remember this. So remember Roy Moore. So he was a candidate from Alabama. Alabama yeah. is like, I guarantee like 90% of people in Alabama are all hardcore Republicans. But the problem with Roy Moore is Roy Moore had all these, you know, storylines where he was like, you know, he wasn't assaulting women, but he had a lot of like, he, he was like, he was creeping on high school, stuff. weird guy. But see, like you saw that in Alabama, he lost. He lost because he was a bad person. He didn't lose because the Republican Party somehow lost his way in Alabama. He lost because he did a lot of sketchy stuff and people didn't want him in office. And that's the good thing about our country. We always look at it like it's like some black and white. Oh, all these red states always vote Republican or all these blue states always vote Democrat. But in the end of the day, the people themselves are much more intelligent than we give them credit for. Like and morally like, intelligent in a way that we can't actually yes. say we're intelligent. We just know. Yeah. 
yeah. they're not going to just vote for some sexual assaulter just because like that person belongs to a certain party. Like, sure, obviously, when it comes to the presidential race and there are, you know, accusations against like Bill Clinton and Donald Trump or Joe Biden and all these, you know, different major people that are running for president, that scenario is a little bit different because you only have two options running for president. Like, in the end of the day, if this kind of situation happens and there is some major governor race, like even if somebody's an incumbent, that doesn't necessarily mean that they're going to win their position if they have all this sketchy life story going on behind. So you them. think all this is a good thing? You would be on the side of Nick saying this is probably yes. a progression towards something better than yeah. where we're at. Obviously, because you want you want this kind of stuff to come out because you don't want to elect people that are sexual assaulters and molesting people and stuff. That's horrible. Mm-hmm. And like, and it gives you a bad name because it means that's what represents who you are. Do you want that representing you? Yeah, and you wouldn't want to vote for any of these people. Like, obviously, like, I mean, you want your party to win, but that doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to want somebody that's a sexual assaulter or someone that has. So there has to be something greater that you value than the party itself, and I think that's a that's a really good point because I think that's the problem we're having so often. What is it that we value greater than the parties themselves? I think we're kind of like finding that, and I think that's part of what this whole thing is. Yeah. Do you have any last thoughts, Nick? I was just going to say, I I fully agree with what you guys are saying. I think there comes a point. But look, I think this is just throughout our society. There's tons of things that people believe a certain way. But if you don't have the right spokesperson or person to associate with it, if if they're giving those ideas a bad name, you're going to shy away from them, even if it's something you sort of lean more towards, like you were saying, critique with the Republicans in Alabama. Yeah. And with that, we'll move on to our final topic. Well, this is some, a, a section we're actually going to be bringing back the Biden <laughs> gaffe of the day, uh, gaffe of the week, whatever you want to call it. This is something we had pre-election and poof, it continues post-election. Nothing. They can only hide it for bit, so though. long. It has, I'll give him that. They've hit him quite well in some hole we've not been able to find them, but he has peeked his head out and we can once again see the greatness that is the Biden gaffe. So, it's all green screens, Tyler. It's it's like the moon landing everywhere. (laughs) Oh, my God. So, yeah. So what did Biden do recently? Well, in a speech where he was supposed to be celebrating the fact that I think we had given out, what, 100 million vaccines, he called Kamala Harris, his vice president, President Harris. So our (laughs) what really gets me about this is for months before the election, the second Kamala Harris was picked as the VP, I was like, the student, the second Biden gets blown over by the wind, Kamala's taking his place. And it seems like that transition in his head is already taking place, even if unconsciously to him. He seems to be deteriorating. Um, we'll move on to the stair topic after, but what do you guys think about him calling Kamala Harris President Harris? Oh, God, dude. Look, I don't think... I think it's funny. <laughs> Biden's always had these gaps, But, I mean, frankly, when I'm just thinking about it, like face value one that sounds like oh god how do you screw that up but on the other hand he was vice president in the in the oval he was he was sitting there for eight years calling someone else president and to be back in the same situation sitting next to someone who's you know sort of your what a progressive person that should be our president right representing the (laughs) democrat the progressive party someone that can't actually change (laughs) i'm i'm just saying it's uh Oh my gosh. No, that's a good point. But I'm just saying it's it's not that surprising to me. Biden's a gaffe machine. And the fact that he's been living a certain way for eight years as the vice president and referring (laughs) to someone else as president, I feel like it's just his old ways coming back to him where he let it slip once. And I'm I'm sure he's 
going to get embarrassed by this one. And what if he's talking to Putin and he thinks he's vice president? Like, how are we able to isolate it to him only in this speech? Seriously, that's a serious question. And it's so sad that Biden does represent America at this point. He's all of our good and all of our bad. There's good intention, but there's no execution. That's what that's what Biden is. I still don't think this is as funny as Bedell's care. But healthcare. <laughs> no, I don't. When when was that no. said? So it was. That like doesn't a, even sound good. That's not no, even like no, a good okay, line. Okay, okay. So this was like one of um, Biden's, like you know, one of his like rallies where he had like twenty people and he had, Don- had Barack Obama come with him and Obama introduced him and he struggled to come on stage because he couldn't hear properly. Then he comes on stage and gives this great speech about how like Trump. If Trump wanted bad health care, I want health care. It didn't make any sense whatsoever. But it was like one of those things. It was just funny because he only has like 20 people. He didn't have like some massive crowd watching him. Like if Trump screwed up like that, all right. He has like millions of people listening to his rally. Biden has 20 people and he still can't screw, he can't, still can't manage not to screw up. But with this one, like I don't think is that bad. Because all he did was literally just forget using one word. Like, if you really think about it, like he called, he should have said Vice President Harris, but he just said President Harris. And there's only one word that you're missing. So maybe it was that heat of the moment and he just said President Harris. I will give him that benefit of the doubt. Uh, the the other one was to me seems like a slip of the tongue. He's mixing healthcare and bad or whatever. He's mixing two words. But the president one to me was a Freudian slip. It was him unconsciously yeah. saying something that he actually believes, even if he doesn't think he believes it. it. Like unconsciously, he lived that out. So I don't know. To me, it's more scary for that one. But... Well, speaking of scary things, let's get on to the staircase of doom. <laughs> oh, my God. And uh, as far as the president is an image, like a symbol for the world, the president of the United States, all of these gaffes are really not making us look good. The latest one being Biden tried to walk up the Air Force one steps to his plane, fell once, fell twice, ru- starts running up the stairs, crashes down and falls ultimately altogether. It was very sad to see. He couldn't even take it in a joking manner because the dude's actually old. I'm sure that actually hurt him. Like, it's really just, it's a mixture of such sad and funniness. I don't know what to make of that. What do you guys think? So, um, the, the story said that after recovering, Biden appeared to take a moment to dust off his knee before finally making his way to the top. He then gave a salute before ducking into the cabin to take off for Georgia. White House Communications Director Kate Bedingfield said Biden was not injured. I know folks have seen that President Biden slipping on his way up the stairs to AF1, but I'm happy to report that he is just fine and he did not require any attention from the medical team who travels with him, she tweeted. Um, But the irony is that whenever Donald Trump was president, this was one of Biden's things was he was like, watch how he once mocked former President Donald Trump after videos of his predecessor walking gingerly walking down a ramp at West Point went viral. Watch how I run up the steps and he stumbles down the ramps. Okay, come on, Biden said last September. I don't know what come on's all about. He likes to say come on all the time. I don't know where you're where you're coming. Well, come but... on, Pratik. At least at least <laughs> Biden is running. Okay. He's, he was he was jogging up the stairs. <laughs> oh you know, Trump God. had the little slow poke like penguin waddle. 
down the ramp. At least he was but, walking sure. down the ramp and fell. Biden <laughs> fell going up the ramp. I, my, my favorite <laughs> comment about that was Biden didn't even need medical attention to climb up the stairs. That's what I heard out of the situation. <laughs> it's like, okay, but he's good to just, you know, run the, the country, the most powerful country in the world and essentially run part of the world. Good luck. Okay. Dude, you know, conservative outlets like PJ Media and others are just going to take, oh, take that gift and either map it onto map it onto whatever controversy controversy honestly um but at the end of the day i think it's the perfect represent representation of america because even though we stumble a few times we're always continuing to go up towards our destination to our dreams <laughs> and i think that's what's beautiful he gave that nice little ginger uh, <laughs> salute towards the end i thought it was uh <laughs> that was more so of what, i'm what still here not gone yet is that what Nick is trying to say is that in poetry biden represents america <laughs> Because yeah. every time we fall, we still get back up to try to go up or go forth, forward. And if we fall again, we continue to do the same thing. And we're old Biden and senile. Three times, so. <laughs> and hey. we can't find our direction. And our healthcare is too things. expensive. And our healthcare is too expensive to even use. Um. <laughs> <laughs> still doesn't beat Bedell's care, though. Uh, God, that's so go. bad. I can't believe you remember that. Well, you know, with the, with the great part about all this, for all the faults is week after week we, we will be having all these opportunities to look at biden and see what happens next you know so at least we have that but with that said i think that that about wraps up the topics we had for today do you guys have any closing thoughts no no i'm just excited for the next week's episode hopefully i can find as much content wonderful oh, great great being with you guys and uh when i see you in person next i'm hey if either of you trip falling up the stairs you know i'm gonna hold it over for you for the rest of your life after this one hey, watch out nick i'm gonna be tripping you <laughs> 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 and with that said thank you guys for listening